Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. This is Scott Toyguru Nightlike, and you're listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Hey, this is Scott Toyguru Nightlike, and you're listening to ToyCast. So swears Skeletor! Now, Toycast. Oh yes, listening to the only toy podcast you will ever need. Hello and welcome to an all new generation of Toycast. As we get the origins of any and all toy fans that we can, I'm of course TFG and Mike. Joining me, sort of as always, is Mr. Floorburger himself. It is Josh Flood. Hello, sir. Good morning. It's morning, really. I, I couldn't tell. Whatever you do, folks, do not eat Fritos before bed because your throat will basically say, hey, you're going to be awake all night. Yay. Oh, Lord. We are here with today's guest here on ToyCast. It is the creative director at Spectre Creative. It is none other than Scott Nylick, a.k.a. the Toy Guru. First of all, before we even get any started, the first question I have is, where did you come up with? Did you just say that you wanted to be that, or how did the Toy Guru part come into play? <laughs> Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. It's, I love, it's so great to like wake up on Saturday and just chat toys. It's not like yeah. I can do that with my uh, wife or my cat or my daughter. Uh, well, maybe it's either cat. that or we can watch cartoons together, but we can't oh. stream them online or else we'll get in trouble. It's true. <laughs> I, I tried doing that with my two best friends from high school watching Book of Boba Fett. We were both, we were all going to like say, okay, ready? One, two, three, play. So we could try to like all watch it together from wherever <laughs> we are in the country and it didn't quite work. Uh, no. Right. Toy guru, me, name. Yes. So, uh, so I've been in the toy industry for well over 20 years. I now run my own consulting firm, Spectre Creative, which you can find at spectrecreative.com, shameless plug number one, or of course the YouTube channel. The name came when I was, I was at Mattel for nine years and was basically running uh, product lines aimed at the adult collector on with a service called maddiecollector.com, which was a direct-to-consumer website that had, it was like a figure of the month club for those who weren't around for it. And I needed a way to post on message boards and for people to, to know that it was coming from, you know, me, <laughs> if you will. And most people on message boards use screen names. So I was like, okay, well, I just have to come up with some kind of screen name that's going to show that I am, I guess, if you will, the not the authority figure, but the uh, information figure or you know if you will so the the, might you know so i just was like okay i'll be the toy guru like it was literally just meant to be a screen name it was not meant to be a thing and it became a thing people just started calling me that and uh it just kind of stuck so it was really just meant to help differentiate me on on the message boards as not you know i mean obviously a member of the board but also that i was actually speaking you know because you were working at the company yeah Right. Yeah. It was just to give myself some sense of authority uh, that my, you know, regarding my information. And uh, there you go. 
Yeah. So uh, probably a, a much better name to set yourself apart than Floor Burger or something like that that, that yes. I go by. Well, I, I did with, think about that, but no, that name didn't work too much. Oh, um, okay. That's I'm glad it was no. still available. And, and with mine, it's because it's Transformers Generation 1. And somebody, when I first started podcasting, within the first year, one of my uh, Canadian listeners was like, oh, it stands, and we do curse around here, not that we're going to, but we do. I'm just going to put that out there. It stands for the fucking great one. And I'm just like, no, that's not what it stands for. But sometimes my ego thinks it does. <laughs> uh, I, I had a different nickname for you, but we won't get into that. Um, we haven't known each other that long, so don't don't start that. All right, so since I did the introduction, Josh is going to have a conversation with you for the first four out of 42 questions. Take it away, Josh. Uh, are, are you ready for 42 questions in the morning, Scott? Life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> that, that's how we hook people in. So, Scott, you have said many times, and I, I really agree with it, it comes through in your passion. You're a, a toy fan first. So do you have a memory of the first toy that you actually remember playing with or having as a kid? Oh, like literally the first? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to start with the easy question. M- memory of that. Like, I mean, there's, I definitely like, you know, I, I, ha- I still have a lot of, like most of us, I have a lot of toys from my childhood. I know the early, I mean, like the earliest ones are the Fisher Price little people with like the train and the, uh, the Sesame Street playset like the clubhouse um i like i reaching back and <clears throat> excuse me into my brain I, I can't literally think of like a memory of playing with those in particular but i definitely i mean i own them i mean i you know I, like it's sort of you know it all hodges together star wars he-man transformers and there was a um a building system called constructs which was a, a bolt and Gerber set. Those yeah. are definitely some of my favorite toys as a kid. Yeah, asking me like literally a memory. I don't know. I, I, it's, if you, it's hard to remember back that far. Oh, of course. Uh, if you don't mind me asking just for a frame of reference, how old are you? I'm uh, 43. So I was born in 78, a year okay. after Star Wars came out. Okay, I'm 38. So we're, we're right in the same area. Uh, so number two, whoa, uh, was there a particular adult who was supportive of you playing with toys as a kid? Was there anyone who was unsupportive? I think we all go through those points in our lives where there may be someone who would say, you're too old for toys or anything like that. Uh, so have you ever had a supportive or unsupportive adult in your life for playing with toys? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, my parents definitely thought, especially as I was hitting junior high, that this was a little crazy. And in fact, I, I've made a couple, I've actually talked about this on my channel a few times. Uh, there was a... It's sort of that transition between being a kid playing with toys and being a older or like, you know, young adult, adult collecting them. I was in, I was, it must've been like 13 or 14. And I remember being in target and uh, I was looking at a teenage mutant Ninja turtle tattoo figure. It was like a big sumo wrestler guy yeah. that you stuck stickers yeah. to. Love that one. And, yeah. And I had it in my hand, I wanted to buy it and I was with my father and he said, you really need to think about that. You're getting old for toys. And I remember his exact quote. He said, you can either have the toy or the blonde. You need to choose. Um, like, meaning I wasn't going to get girls if I was still playing with <laughs> the toys. The toy or the blonde. <laughs> he said it exactly like that. And 
Uh, I mean, my, which is funny because my mom, I mean, my mom's a brunette, so I don't know where that why he thought I was going like, to be into a blonde. But actually, I married a. And then at my wedding, I actually said, like, see, I got the toys and I got the blondes. My my wife has long blonde hair. Um, so so yeah, so that actually caused me to walk away from toys for a while. I'm like, okay, I need to get out of this. But of course, Power of the Force Two roped me back in when Chewbacca came out, and then it was all downhill from there. But um. Yeah, and, and when I was getting a job out of college, I wanted to go into the toy industry, and my mother had said to me that collecting toys doesn't come with a 401k, so I need to rethink that. And, of course, working for Mattel and several other – I've worked for Jack's, large toy companies – I have a very I have a quite a 401k that I was able to take away from Mattel. So, yeah, I, you could my, you could definitely say my parents were not the most supportive and but then when I became a success at in the toy industry, like suddenly it was a total about face and it was like, "Oh yeah, Scott our, you know, our toy son and like da, 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 like oh my gosh. Like that's, you know, a 180. Well, and, and obviously when somebody can take their hobby and their passion and turn it into a career, that's where you often see the most success for a person. And and it appears that you have done that in, in many different ways. So when you were a kid, though, what, you already mentioned a couple of different brands that you played with, but what were the types of toys that were your favorites to play with? It seemed like you maybe went a little bit towards the action figures primarily, but as, for the, as far as the types of toys, what were your favorites? Um. So uh, as a kid, I mean, yeah, I mean, action figures were definitely it, and I I used constructs that that building toy as kind of a medium to uh, fill in the gap between lines. So I would like build Star, I would build spaceships out of constructs that I could put my Star Wars figures in, but then those spaceships that I built would also transform into robots. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it kind of became like this the glue, if you will, that kind of mm-hmm. held all my toy lines together. I, I was also into Hot Wheels. I mean, I remember I still have it because it's in my. I have my Hot Wheel. I had a Hot Wheels playset, which when I was at Mattel, I actually met the designer who worked on it because I brought it in. To, I, I I brought in my 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 actual Hot Wheels set as a demonstration for something I wanted to propose. And a designer in the back of the room in this meeting was like, "Hey, I made that back in the '80s." And I opened it up and we were looking at it together. He's like, see, like I named this thing like, you know, Larry's Garage because my name is Larry. It was Larry Wood. If anyone knows who that is, he's a famous Hot Wheels designer. So um, I, I so I was so I, I did go through. I mean, I was, you know, as a kid, I did have uh, car play. But yeah, action figures were definitely the big one. And I just never stopped. So this this might be a, a pretty loaded, pretty easy question for you to answer. But if you were to promote a toy line based on your childhood experiences and your favorite types of toys, if you could do it all over again as a brand manager day one, what is a type of toy that you would push now, knowing what you know as a brand manager? Like what toy would I bring back to the market? Or, or, or because you mentioned that Constructs was sort of that medium that you could use it between different toy lines, would you want to bring back constructs and push that as something or would you want to stay strictly with action figures or hot wheels like if you just had that opportunity to bring back something that was great in your own childhood oh yeah well actually the one i would bring back the most um is one i tried to bring back uh when i was at entertainment earth if you remember the the old fisher price little people yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. nowadays they have like arms and legs and they're caught they're what is referred to as like a super deformed squishy form factor where you know, it's like an interpretation. Mm-hmm. The ones we had as kids, 
were pegs. They were pins with little heads. And because of the shape, they could do things that no other toy could do, like go down slides and go and fit in the holes in the little cars. And when I worked for Entertainment Earth for quite a while, we tried to bring that back as a toy line called Pinmates. And they actually had the license for tons of IP from Marvel to DC to Star Trek to Big Lebowski. Um, unfortunately, it just never took off. Um, we spent like two years working on this. We had a huge launch at Comic Con, and then it just didn't it didn't hit. But it's such a it's such a hidden gem that I think someday someone's going to crack the code on, on on getting it because it it the the old ones the pin shaped Fisher Price figures don't do what the current ones do like they can't go down slides and they can't go down trap doors and that was sort of all the fun so that's something i would definitely bring back are they not currently made to fit those old sets the old sets yeah so like nobody i mean the pin mates that entertainment earth made yeah were completely compatible with the old stuff that was okay liberally made i actually had them when i came in as the director there the sort of pin mate 1.0 wasn't quite it was about like 80 percent Correct. So what we what I did is I brought in all of a bunch of my old Fisher Price figures. I went to my parents' house, dug them out, brought them in, and said we have to. And we we made Pinpoint 2.0, and it was literally an exact one to one of the ratio of the old ones. So we re- yeah. So the idea was to make them cross compatible with what was ever in your parents' attic. I remember that being a very very versatile toy line. I, I as a kid I really enjoyed it, and it it didn't take a whole lot. You didn't even need too much of a a license to really get into it. You just had a really, like you said, uh, a very versatile playset. So I really appreciated those. And I remember when you were promoting them and I'll, I'll admit, I actually never really saw any in the shops I was looking around in, but I, I definitely admired them. Yeah, no, thanks. It was definitely a labor of love and it was absolutely like kind of a crush when it didn't hit because I thought this, it was going to be such a great line that would bridge that gap between kids and collectors yeah. Yeah. And not it's so got, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I just said not so much. Like it didn't. It, it, yeah. It, it has that sort of similar flavor to Pops where it's easily cross compatible. Hey, 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 watch no, no. it. I'm not saying any, I'm, I'm not, I'm not addition Pops in this, in this episode. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I admire about Pops and I think one of the things about Fig Pins uh, or Pinmates, excuse me, is that you can put your Spider Man with your Batman and they would still fit. So, uh, that that's actually a really really clever tactic there. So I'm going to turn it over to the uh, very delightful and positive Mike for the next section of questions. The funny thing is, is as you mentioned that I have mm-hmm, Funko Pop art series He-Man and Skeletor. He-Man is green like Castle Grayskull. Skeletor is purple like Snake Mountain. And sitting right to the left, of, or right, right to the right of both of them, is Zombie Hunter Spider-Man from Marvel's What If. So, yes, they are completely interchangeable. Anyway, good guys or bad guys, which toys were your favorites to play with the most? Ooh, I want to say as a kid it was the good guys, but I definitely I know at the sort of the tail end of high school and the beginning of college, I was all about the bad guys because I remember. When the 2000X He-Man line came out in 2001, 2002 for the Mike Young series, mm-hmm. um, I only was collecting the bad guys. I sort of like, 
you know, like we all kind of make up rules for how we collect both to protect our wallets and our shelves in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I break them all, but yes. Yep. And we, yep. And that's, yeah. And then we, we have, we make our own rules until we break them. So yeah. So my rule to keep me from spending my entire paycheck on He-Man toys in 2001, I said, okay, I'm just going to buy the bad guys and, you know, four buzz, buzz off and man at arms, Tila later, suddenly I, you know, I realize I have a bunch of the heroes, but I was going to be a completist when it came to the bad guys um, was my goal. So, yeah. Say what you will about that reboot, but Christopher Nolan and his writers, they were right. You know, either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. (laughs) Wow, that's uh, aptly said. (laughs) (laughs) What is or was your favorite toy vehicle or play set? Oh, I love that you like have all your questions ready. As a kid, um, both as a kid and, and and as an adult, yeah. As a kid, it was it, it definitely would have been Castle Grayskull. I used to I was given that when I was four. I've, I've told this story before about how uh, my on my fourth birthday I was very sick. Uh, I mean, not like you know coronavirus or something like that. Um, just you know, a kid kids have flus, mm-hmm. and. So my parents had to cancel my birthday party, which, of course, you know, for a four-year-old, that's like the worst thing that could possibly ever happen in the history of ever. Right. And to make it up for me, I mean, they didn't cancel it. They just postponed it until I was feeling better. So they invited all of my relatives over. Like my friend, they weren't going to expose my friends to being sick, but they had no problem, I guess, exposing (laughs) relatives. (laughs) And uh, so – and yeah, uh, so the, and they gave me my birthday presents early. And, and what they gave what, was Castle Grayskull and a handful of figures: He-Man, Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, Stratos, and Battle Cat. I want to say were the original uh, gift. And yeah, I mean, I just—it's amazing to think that my parents like gave me He-Man when it was completely untested, and it's like I didn't even know who the brand or was asking for it. They just saw it and were like, "Scott would like this," um, and I did. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to like I, I would carry that castle everywhere. I mean, it was like my parents called it my personal luggage. Very cool, very cool. I mean, I carried my toiletries in Castle Grayskull, so oh, nice. <laughs> I had to get rid of mine because sadly it got infested somehow. I don't know how that happened. I so quick story. My mom bought me Castle Grayskull again somewhere around my second, third, fourth birth. I forget which birthday it was. I know obviously it came out in '82. You know, whatever. And she basically had it in storage with her every time she moved, yada, 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 yada. By, I think it was 2010 or 2012, I was like, oh, I'll take that off your hands. She goes, oh, yeah, I've only been lugging it around the country for the last 20, 30 years, whatever it is. And there, I, I've got a whole photo album on, on Facebook with pictures with the castle. castle The castle with, because the original castle still worked. With the classics figures, I have a shot of Adora and Orko in the loft, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, the loft. So, yes, yes. Well, it, it sounds better than what it was actually called. Or oh, what no, no, I called it the loft. Yeah. yeah. So as I'm moving out of one apartment into another apartment, I go to look at my Queen Marlena and the castle itself, and there were all of these... Eternian bugs coming out of both of them, and I'm like, nope, oh, not dealing with this. Threw it, threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> I 
At least it lasted 30-something years. I mean, you know, most toys don't last that long. Most toys don't last that long. Well, it was it, w- it was a very, very hardy toy. Mine yeah. was left outside, I think, for at least one winter as we were kids. And it, it lasted. It did great. I think it was under uh, one of our patio decks. And it's still durable. I have it. Uh, it's in storage right now, but it still works perfectly fine. I don't think it would have lasted the three feet of snow Illinois has currently this year. But anyway, did uh, what features define a good toy to you? How true does the item feel in comparison to the source material likeness? Now, you, again, you can answer this both as a collector and as a person who worked on the toys. Well, I, as a collector... Uh, I mean, you know, kid product and collector product, well, they obviously blend, and there's plenty of mm. products that are, you know, on kids' shelves and kids' toy chests that are also on adult collectors' desks. Um, but as a collector, yeah, I mean, it's going to – authenticity, um, articulation, because articulation is what allows the adult collector to have ownership over the character. They can pose them how they want. The more articulation, the more ownership you have over them, and the more you can, if you will, control them. That's really mm-hmm. what this hobby is about. It's about feeling control over things that we can't, like, you know, Millennium Falcons or, or you know, uh, Incredible Hulks, whatever it is. By pilot, by putting the figure in the Millennium Falcon, you control it. By posing Hulk the way you want to pose him, you now control Hulk. So that's, for the collector, it's authenticity and, and, and articulation and, and well-done articulation. There can be sloppy articulation. You know, articulation's been done where the you know limbs will fall off. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think Marvel Legends tends to be the gold standard these days. Maybe Black Series. Either way, I mean, Hasbro definitely get you know hits the ball out of the park as far as affordable, well articulated figures at mass retail. As a kid, it's about play value. It's really right. just about will the child enjoy this? You know, I mean, the the Luke Skywalker we all had in the '80s didn't look like Mark Hamill. I mean, but it didn't matter. You know, he had a yellow lightsaber. He had bright yellow hair and there were no facial features um but he could fit into an x-wing and and uh, and a lightsaber or you know laser sword magically came out of his arm and that was cool so you know it's all about play value absolutely with your experience what role does packaging play into the purchasing of a toy in other words how important is packaging in whether or not someone yourself included would buy a toy Oh, excellent question. And considering I got my start in the toy industry in the package group, I worked in packaging for a little a little under two years. So packaging is there for two reasons, and they're not necessarily the ones that people think are the obvious. The first one is they're there. Well, actually, well, we'll give the obvious. You know, it's it's basically advertising the toy on shelf to parents. And what mm-hmm. it's got to communicate the most is price value, that they're getting a lot of toy for however much they're spending. It's why you see toys packed out where, like, every piece count is in a blister. Like, a great example is there's a new Marvel Legends retro wave, and there's a Hobgoblin figure in this wave. And Hobgoblin's satchel, purse, whatever you want to call it, I mean, it was originally tooled as Mary Jane's purse, but now it's used as Hobgoblin satchel. Um it's not packed. He's not wearing it in the package right. next to him. And that's done to show peace count so that parents can look and say, oh, you get a figure, you get a little glider, you get like some little weird purse accessory. So it makes it feel more valuable. Um, for collectors, 
pack, you know, packaging is much more about like, am I go do I, am, do I want it, it's a piece of art, it, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the figure on the card is not an action figure. It's a piece of art you're displaying on your wall. It happens to incorporate an action figure into the art the way the Mona Lisa incorporates paint or canvas into the art. Um, it's just part of the material, if you will. But the biggest reason for packaging is not what people think at all. Uh, about I would say 60 to 70 percent of the of packaging is done for the stock person at Target and Walmart to help them figure out where it goes. That's True. why the branding is done like that. Um, it, it, it's designed not for the end user, but for the store to figure out where to put it. I actually so, never I, I honestly <laughs> did not know that that's. I, I have a couple of choice package figures around me right now, and everything you just said just resonates so loud. <laughs> Ninja Turtles is a great example of having the accessories sitting out so you can see everything that's packed with them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in the same vein, what does toy packaging have to have to draw you in? What have been some notable toy packages that you have appreciated. Mm, let me think. I'm like looking around my office at like the few things that I have because I don't have that much in package. Um, <laughs> but well, I have like I mean I love the the vintage Kenner Star Wars figures really penetrated pop culture. You know the the big photo on the right and the and the coffee mm-hmm. poster. And other companies and especially even Kenner replicated this. I'm particular. I'm looking at my Robin Hood Men- Prince of Thieves carded collections one of the only yes. ones that have carded and not loose um because i just yeah they're art i just think they're beautiful um you know i love seeing the you know the big picture of the actors and the repainted star wars and and superpowers figures inside i thought the indiana jones line that hasbro did for skull uh, crystal skull i mean obviously the movie has its own issues but the, the packaging i thought was great the use of the mm, wit yeah. um as a visual that brought you from the logo, like around to the toy. Um, I thought the old Mego toys were great in the seventies with the circles, with the fig, the faces and the bright colors. And yeah, uh, just I mean, again, I'm just like literally glancing around my office at like, what is in package that I can see masters, Universe classics. There seems to be a lot of those around my office. Those were pretty cool. You yeah. think, I mean, you know, where did, where did those come from? Exactly. All right. So, when we originally proposed um, classics, it was—I mean, it was originally—it was only going to be a six-figure line, like kind of like the commemorative series at Toys R Us in '99. Mm-hmm. We didn't think there was a big enough audience because <laughs> the brand had just failed at retail with the 2000 X line. So uh, it was basically thought of as a tri- twi- thrice-failed line, if you will. And um, because we were selling them online management didn't give us any resources for packaging they said well you know you're just selling it all there's no retail involved so just put it in a white box or in a you know poly bag and send it out it's what hasbro does with the army builder troops for star wars on hasbro pulse it's just comes in a white box and they're all poly bagged which is actually pretty cool so that was what management wanted us to do and i made a stink that there was a large number of collectors that were going to want to display these in package as art and so we still didn't get any money for resources, but we were allowed to at least put them into a blister. So what we did is we we just looked to see what we had, and all we really had was the green brick pattern that had been created for the King Grayskull San Diego Comic-Con figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had that art file. So we're like, okay, well, we'll just repurpose that art file. And then on the back, in order to fill what 
is referred to as real estate. You know, it's like, you know, what are we going to do with space? So I said, well, we'll just fill it with a cross cell at top because that doesn't cost anything. It's just, you know, photos. And then on the bottom, just slap a scroll there and I'll I'll whip you up a quick bio. We only needed it for six characters. I figured like that's not that big of a commitment. I can write six quick bios. I was a I mean, I, I I was a writer before I became a marketing manager, and that's where the packaging came from. It was just meant to be a sort of very quick, cheap way to do it that would also work as a template, so that it was easy to just do each character, just change the name, change the bio. Like there was not, there was no, you notice there was no original art, if you will, like right. uh, you know stuff like that. So it was just made to be templated, so we could do it as quickly and cheaply as possible because we had absolutely no money. Jeez. And I think one of the cool pieces about the, the Masters line that I liked, I, I wasn't an early adopter. It took me a little while to get into it, but there was something pretty cool about having almost that traditional blister card, but with such a high quality toy on the inside. It was it was a interesting dynamic of the sort of standard retail style of packaging with that very special figure on the inside. I felt like I was actually getting a lot of value for it. I might just be my perception, but I appreciate it because of that. Yeah, I mean, we were going for that. I mean, absolutely. You know, and we were also, you know, doing everything we could with the limited. So, for example, those figures, you notice, have that inverted belly button. uh, Mm. We called it. Um, That was the original figures in the 80s. That dimple was created to keep the figures pressed against the back card to keep them from jiggling around because there's no inner blister. Mm-hmm. We put that on the classic figures, and I remember, again, bringing it into management for approval, and they were like, why is there this stupid indent here? And I was trying to explain how it was an homage, and they were like, but you don't need it to hold the figure in place. We have an inner blister now. And I was like, I know, but it's just, it's an homage. It's cool. It, it, it. And they're like, fine, we, we trust you. We, you know what you're talking about, but they thought it was weird. And then the last one is you'll notice on the side of the figures are air holes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, have always wondered, like, you know, like, do these figures come alive at night and, like, you know, need to breathe? And but it was to keep them from that that white dust that gets on packaged yes. figures. Mm-hmm. I've done a video on the Spectre Creative Channel. You can see about why that the, the science of why that happens, but it's basically from a lack of oxygen, and that's why we put the holes there so that wouldn't happen. I, I remember that in. In a couple of figures, I, I just always wash it off. But the dimple that you mentioned, I remember seeing it. It's been years since I've opened a Masters figure, but I remember seeing it. And I kind of just always accepted it. I was just felt it was part of the design and just went with it. So that, that's. I that's think all of us, and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole. I think all of us were just happy we finally got the figures because of the digital thing going on at the time. But anyway, take it away, Josh, with the next set oh, of questions. Yeah, yeah. So, Scott, go back to being a kid. Of all the toys that you already have the knowledge of, have experienced, if you only had to choose one of those to collect from, you can't get anything else. So it's either only Star Wars or only Masters. What would you choose and why would you choose that one if you had to? It would probably... I mean, honestly, probably it would be a between Star Wars and Constructs, but I would probably go for Star Wars. As much as I loved He-Man, Star Wars, I think, was more world building. I mean, I had more vehicles. Um, you know, It was really because of the scale, because of the three and three-fourth scale. Uh, you could do a lot more. Yeah, that would that would be the one. It would definitely it would be Star Wars. That was my first love. And in just referencing 
vintage toys, modern toys, based on your experience as a collector, not as a brand manager, where does where do you find your preferences in what we could consider vintage? So let's say vintage, maybe everything going up to 2000-ish, uh, maybe a little bit before 2000, or modern, so everything sort of post-2000. Do you prefer as a collector vintage or modern toys? Modern toys. The only vintage toys I have tend to be the ones I own. Mm-hmm. Um, or very rarely will I buy a toy um, that, you know, like, like, like say, I think of a Star Wars. Uh, I never had the Star Wars, the Kenner Imperial Officer figure. Mm. Well, and I've never let. So I've those occasionally, like I may say, like I want to, like I want to, you know, complete my, you know, original Kenner collection um, since I never had those figures. But I, I like modern, to, modern, like literally, you know, the the late, the literally the latest. I mean, I'll, you know, I replace my Toy Biz Marvel Legends with Hasbro Marvel Legends as better ones come out. Me too. Um, so yeah, it's like I, I like having the best version. And I, I think that's also something you've spoken to in one of your videos is that it's always a quest to make sure you have the best and most iconic version of a toy. But in terms of everything you have in your office, you mentioned you have a collection in your office. What is one toy that you can always just pick up and play with if you're wandering past it or it's sitting on your desk? You, you can just fiddle with it and you always enjoy playing with it. Oh, great question, because I am such a fiddler. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I, I actually keep toys just on my desk as like fiddle toys. Yeah, me too. Um, like I, like I don't have that many Motu origins, but I have a, a merman and I keep, cause he's like, I love the, I mean, he's so easily articulated and stuff. Yeah. Um, other things that I love fiddling with that are on my desk are, there was a, there was a line called Boomco. It was a, it was meant to be Mattel's, uh, take tr- attempt at nerf. Um, it didn't work for a lot of reasons. I mean, mainly because it literally didn't work, the, the, the darts, but that's a whole other thing. One of the items they had in it was this, for lack of a better word, it was a grenade. It was basically two squishy, I mean, I've got, um, like rubber, tor- think of it as two tor- tortoise shells. And then one on top of another, like they split in the middle as like two tortoise shells. Mm-hmm. But the way it's designed, it's got like finger uh not finger holes, but finger dimples, like all over it. And it is so much fun to squish and pull apart and stick together. I mean, it's meant to be something for kids to like throw like a grenade. Mm-hmm. It would split in two. And it's like, I got you. I kept a few as fidget toys and they are just amazing. They are so, it is like so much fun to fiddle with. Yeah. Look up Boomco grenade or Boomco, um, like, you know, squishy ball and you'll see. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. And, uh, fidget toys have been a recent trend for, what about six or seven years for students of all ages? Yep. And oh, even I got a, I got a cube. Yeah, and even and even adults. Uh, and these look just like some of the fidget toys that they play with. So that's that's really interesting. Even though there are always toy lines that people never purchase, and in your videos you you have interest and in, an appreciation for a lot of them. Are there any that, as a collector, that you specifically and purposely avoid that you will just never buy for some reason? So this can be toy lines or specific characters, just anything that you have a toy allergy to. Wow, I don't think I've ever been asked that. I mean, there's things that like I don't care for. I mean, I'm, I'm like I'm not that much of a car toy guy. I mean, I have a few Hot Wheels here and there. Like, like you mean like if someone like gave me a toy that I would like immediately give it away or like not keep it? Well. 
No, it's more so like if you go into the toy shop or you go into the toy store or whatever and you see He-Man, Transformers, Thundercats, Silverhawks, Voltron, My Little Pony, Care Bears, um, Rainbow Bright. Like, which one would you not buy? Which one would you – like, no thanks, not for me. I'll stick with what's over in this pile. Well, another – Another way to look at that, too, is one of the reasons I didn't get into classics early on is that I knew it would be a black hole I could never recover from. It would just be yeah. one of those collections I would go big into, and that's what happened. I, I had, at one point, a ton of classics. So that could be the other thing is, are you trying to control yourself so you don't fall into it? Because I that's what happened with Masters for me. So either way. Uh, G.I. Joe would be it, by far. Um, I'm, I'm not into G.I. Joe. Is there any per- particular reason? I just never had it as a kid. I mean, I'm not anti-military. I mean, I, you know, I've seen the G.I. Joe movies. I've seen the cartoon. I do own a few G.I. Joe figures. I have a, a classified Cobra Commander um, on my villain shelf. But, yeah, it just yeah, it's never, never hit with me. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And that's interesting because you have an appreciation for that similar scale. But I, I do know some people who only had Star Wars or they only had G.I. Joe. And maybe they had a, a couple of each of the other one, but they were very focused on one or the other. I know, and weird. Like, you'd think I, the fe- especially being into, you know, all of the com- compatriot lines. I mean, I even like My Little Pony and Strawberry Shortcake yeah. and Bear Bears. I just never got into G.I. Joe. And it's like, like the one, ju- I mean, I like Silverhawks. I like Thundercats. I like, you know, Munchy Cheese. Like, it's like there's almost every 80s line just for some reason. I mean, I'm not anti-G.I. Joe. It just doesn't speak to me. And I never got into it. Again, it's it's your collection, and it's whatever flavor that you kind of got into. There are some major toy lines. I never really got into Thundercats as much as I had a couple, but that was a big one for a lot of people. Uh, so are there any toys that – and I don't know if you ever get much into selling on eBay or anything like that. But are there any toys that you have sold or let go or gave away that you regret later on and wish you still had? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. When – 
we moved from California to North Carolina. I donated just like a ridiculous amount of toys to my daughter's school, mainly, you know, just to not, I mean, I'd like, you know, I like basically pruned my collection, if you will, before the move. <laughs> um, and I mean, it was mostly stuff like there were some, I mean, I'd sold some things on eBay, but like, you know, so many of the things I have are loose and, you know, it's like they're just selling on the time and effort to sell them on eBay mm. versus let children enjoy them. And one of the things that it was, mo- a lot of it was Star Wars vehicles from the modern line, because I don't really collect those. I have a few, but like, I didn't buy a sail barge. You'd think like me being in the Star Wars figures, I'd buy a sail barge, but I'm into the figures, not the vehicles. Oddly, one of the things I threw into that pile with a bunch of vehicles I had to buy to get the figure, if you will, that came with the vehicle. Like, that's why I wound up with a bunch of vehicles. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you had to buy an X-Wing to get a wedge, I'd buy the X-Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just mm-hmm. keep the wedge. Was the Power of the Force 2 Rancor. I figured Ooh. I had a better Rancor in, like, the more recent one. And I was like, ah, I don't need the Power of the Force 2 one anymore. Um, but I do have all my other beasts, like my Tauntauns and, you know, that, you know, do-backs. So I definitely, yeah, I feel really stupid getting rid of that because I really wish I had it back. Do you think you'd ever try to track it down again if you could? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, like that actual one, probably not. But yeah, that I'll, I'll just buy one off of, you know, eBay one day or if I see yeah. it in a used bookstore. I mean, I don't think that thing is going for that much money. So yeah, it, I'll, I'll rebuy it. But I definitely, there's that's probably the biggest one that I'm like, why did I give that away? That was part of my collection. It was a place for them to all hang out and have dinner. (laughs) All right. How large or small is your toy collection? Do your toys take up the whole house or are they relegated to one room shelf or something like that? Uh, It depends what my wife has to say, basically. So I have an office, I have an office, which is basically a fourth bedroom since we only Mm -hmm. have, one child who's wonderful and it is literally covered like there's not there's no space there's not a space for a single thing added at this point probably um i I think i have like one spot in my marvel legends shelf like reserved for feral when she comes out to complete x-force but otherwise there's like nothing there's (laughs) there's not even a place for dust to settle i have so many toys in here um which includes two large back closets one of which has like five or six giant tubs that are filled with my complete DCU classic and Motu classic collections, mm-hmm. as well as I have a complete collection of every three and three fourth star Wars figure that's been released since 1995 from the original wow. trilogy. I don't wow. I have, I have a lot of, I have some prequel figures and like one or two Disney, but if it's original trilogy and it came out, starting with Power of the Force 2 and ending with, uh, God, I just got, what, Bib Fortuna and um, Lobot the other day. So, yeah, mm. every single one, like, in bins, labeled with their accessory, in release order. So that takes up, like, a whole walk-in closet, just that, as well as my comic books. I have a few figures scattered around the house. Uh, there's a Swedish chef in our spice cabinet. Um, <laughs> is, it, is it the Palisades one or the Diamond? Yeah. The it was the Palisades one with the playset. Oh, that's one of my that favorites. Was, that playset was amazing. I mean, that it came with more accessories than any. It was, I bought that playset for the accessories. Um, Same. <laughs> it's still and, sitting on my shelf right now. Yep. Yeah. I like, and I use those accessories all over the place because I've been mean, frying pans and like you know singing tomatoes. I mean, it was just amazing. Um. Then yeah, there's 
like uh, I, I, I've joked in a few videos and my wife's china cabinet is my uh, spirit of King Grayskull figure, a pinmate of me and a pinmate of my daughter and a pinmate of my daughter's cat that were oh. all prototypes that never got released, um, as well as a few other. I have a uh, unproduced Lord of the Rings wild man figure that a friend really? who worked at Toy Biz gave me. It like was set to be released and it never came out. Um, it's the sculpt, not the figure. And then I have yeah. a few gifts the horseman gave me. I have the King Grayskull dungeon from Castle Grayskull in that China cabinet. Um, the sculpted dungeon. So yeah, I mean, there's a few toys, you know, around the house. I have a, I have a Sherlock Holmes shelf in our uh, downstairs in our library, and in front of all like the books, I have like a few Sherlock action figures and a Sherlock pop and a Sherlock Lego, that kind of thing. But so the majority is in my room. My, or my office, but there's definitely, you know, and there there tends to like always be like some random Marvel Legends figure like on the coffee table because it was in my pocket or something. <laughs> Side note, that Toy Biz Lord of the Rings line, I think is extremely underappreciated. It's one of my favorite lines and I have a massive amount of it, but. It is, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it also, it, I, I, one day I'll do a, I, I still have, can't kind of haven't figured out the total angle, but Toy Biz didn't pay for its tool link, but, but bill. And so that line like skewed so many collector perspectives of what, of like price value and what they should get as far as original tooling. I mean, it had, it was ridiculous. There wasn't like a single piece of shared tooling in that line. No, and I'm looking at it right now, and to see the level of detail in the paint apps, just everything I've learned from watching your videos about how the toy industry works, it boggles my mind about how this works. Because right above it, I have Star Wars Black, and I see figures that have a lot of shared parts, and Marvel Legends, same thing. So I would be so curious how this was produced. Without paying for it, basically. Yeah. Like, is the, is, is the simple answer. Um, so somebody like, else... Paid for it? Well, no one paid for it. They stiffed the factory. Oh. So. Oh. So that's that why well. Toy Biz is no longer in biz. Uh, <laughs> wow. Do you, do you keep track of your collection? If so, what method do you use to do so? God, you guys, honestly, I'm impressed with your guys' questions. All right. So with my Star Wars figures, I mentioned that they're all in individual, like, sliding bins. Like, I have, like, those, like the nut and bolt. Thing you like uh, drawers you'll buy at Home Depot, like mm-hmm. for you know screws. So I have 60 drawer cases and I have like 17 of them, um, and they're all in release order. So if you, if you needed a Star Wars original trilogy figure from the last 30 years, I could have it for you in about 15 seconds. <laughs> Other stuff, my my Marvel Legends I keep out on display, so I know who's there and who's not my Motu classics and my DCU classics, because both of those toy lines are closed. If you will, mm-hmm. I know they're complete. I have them all. I have like, I have my full set and doubles as needed and they're all in Ziploc bags in individual bins. So again, if I needed one, um, I could get it pretty quickly. I just don't have to, I just don't have room for shelves. <laughs> There's just physically, you know, only so much you can put out. But yeah, that I mean, that's pretty much about it. I mean, the, the only lines I'm really actively collecting at this point are continuing Star Wars three and three fourth, and a, a very small number of Marvel Legends that are I'm still waiting for, like aforementioned Feral from X Force, which you know, again, I, which I can visually see and uh, you know check what's going. Has, has anyone walked off? 
Um, <laughs> yeah, mostly bins. That's basically how I do it. I, I mean, I everything. I mean, I've, everything is organized. You know, like I've got my I get the Lord of the Rings figures. I have all of them in a bin. All my Ghostbusters figures in a bin. So it's like anytime I need something for reference or I want to get it out just to enjoy it, I can get to it very easily. I just don't have display space for everything. Hmm. Speaking of display space, how do you display your toys? Do you display it with the possibility of others, you know, to view it in mind, or is it just for your own personal viewing? Mo- I mean, obviously, mostly it's for my personal viewing in the sense that this is my office. I mean, I also have a desk, and you know, this mm-hmm. is where I both do my professional work for Spectre Creative. It's where I do. I'm getting my MBA. It's where I, you know, attend class virtually all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's a functioning office and I mean, I've got reference books and, you know, material that I need for clients. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's mostly there, you know, it's a, you know, this is my man cave also, if you will. I mean, you know, it just feels really good to have my stuff. Um, Every time anyone comes over who has a child, my wife, of course, is like, you want to go see the toy room upstairs? Um, these are things you can't touch. You could touch those over there, but nothing over here can be touched. Just looked at. You know, yeah, I mean, people people do come over. They, you know, yeah, my wife likes to show it. Even if, it's, I mean, you know, not that she makes fun of me for this, but it's like I know secretly she thinks it's awesome because she always wants to show it off. Um, yeah, so, you know, 80% me, 20% guests coming over. You know, people have asked me to do a video on the channel, and I might do, I might video the room sometime. So, Very cool. Oh, I'd love to see it. Yeah. That would be awesome, yeah. All right, Josh, take it away. Next two. So you talked about how you stored your action figures. You talked about how you displayed them. So assuming that everyone is, say, family pets, uh, your valuables, things that you can't do without, the house is on fire, you can run in and you have time to grab one toy, what would you grab? Oh, only because I was going to say I'm actually prepared for that, and I have a bag of figures that is there. It's my apocalypse bag. So, you know, <laughs> if I had to run out and just grab one thing, I would just grab the bag, and it's all so, set. So what's in your apocalypse bag? And this might tie into our next question, so. But if I got one figure before we get to the apocalypse bag? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I'd probably grab a Mighty Spectre. Like, there's enough of him around that would <laughs> be pretty easy to get. Or a Mandalorian, or I, I think the Mandalorian three and three fourth figure tends to be like one of my favorites right now. Yeah, yeah, I can I can understand uh, the Mighty Specter thing. I can I can totally understand. Uh, so you have your Apocalypse bag. So the next question is sort of like that, and you get an eighteen by eighteen by eighteen box. So one of those boxes. Have you ever, have you ever gotten Hello Fresh or Blue Apron like meal kits? Yeah. So a box about that size. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I yeah. I, okay. So, um, like what would I, so, so what, so what, do I, what would I put in there? The only toys you can keep have to fit in the box. What do you pack into it? All right. Well, let's see. It's pretty, I mean, I can, I probably clear off the top shelf of my desk cause it's got like all my favorites. So, uh, let's see, I've got a Marvel, Marvel legends venom, uh, with the kind of Mark Bagley head as well as the Eric Larson head under him. Shazam, the wizard from JLU mighty specter. The question from JLU, Darkhawk from Marvel Legends, Savage Dragon from Legendary Heroes, Dark, uh, Deathlock from Marvel Legends, Grey Ghost from JLU, a NX Enterprise, My Walrus Man from when I was a kid. <laughs> Let's see here. 
probably throw in a bunch of Pinmates, Doctor Strange, uh, uh, Scarlet Witch, Adam Warlock, Pip. Got a uh, Admiral Akbar from Galactic Heroes, Spider Man Pinmate, uh, Mace Windu's Jedi Fighter as a die cast in that uh, the Titanium series. Let's see my Green Lantern ring, my Legion ring, my X Men Black uh, Black not Black Hawk. Uh, what the heck is their ship? I'm Dark blank. Hawk. No, not yeah. Dark Hawk. The X Men ship. The, um, the Blackbird. The, the Blackbird. yes, Blackbird. Oh, I have yes. a Hot Wheels Blackbird, which I bought. It was amazing. If you haven't seen this Hot Wheels Blackbird, it's like. Oh, um, I have two of them. Yeah. I just stumbled on that literally Same. in a store. I didn't even know it was made. I was like, I, why are they not telling people this is out? Um, I have a couple of the my figures from cons, the Constructs line that were the uh, the the little the fig, little mini figures that went with that line. They're like three inches tall, and are, they've got five points of articulation. There's like alien mm-hmm. spacemen. I definitely grabbed those. Let's see. I still have a lot of space, don't I? I mean, it's like this box is going to be very heavy. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically getting filled with like just lots of lots of Star Wars three and three. Then at that point, like now that I've grabbed some of my like absolute favorites, I would basically just start pouring in. uh, So I have aside from my complete collection of Star Wars three and three fourth and DC and Motu classics and even what I collect from Marvel Legends. What's in my Apocalypse box is basically my favorite figures from the world of Six Inch, from anything. Motu, Masters of the Universe, or, or the same thing. Marvel Legends, DC, but you know, even like you know, one-off lines. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Aliens, Hunger Games. I'm like, I'm uh, Futurama, Simpsons. I mean, I know they weren't quite Six Inch, but so I have a box that's basically my absolute favorite characters mm-hmm. and. If that figure is something like a Marvel Legends or um, a DCU or a Motu Classics that I also have archive collections of, it's a double. Hmm. Oh. So, so I don't need to go into my DCU Classics collection or my Motu Classics collection to get my favorite Motu. They're all in this six-inch bag, along with some Marvel Legends that are also like Cyclops from the X-Men is one of my favorite characters. He's sitting on my Marvel Legends shelf. I also have a duplicate of him in this bag. I like that there's somebody else out there who thought similarly to me. I haven't done the same thing, but if I had to, that's the origin of this question, is that I would love to just have that box ready to go if everything else had to go. Yeah, so I basically have, yeah, there's a a bag and it's got a whole bunch of six-inch figures and it's got a whole bunch of Star Wars three and three-fourth figures but they're all duplicates of ones that I have in the back in the archive collection. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So as the years went by, if a character came out that I knew I was going to want to display, but I also wanted like an everyday play version, I would buy two. I used to do that a lot with toy biz, Marvel legends. Cause I always worried about my favorite version breaking. So that's how I started my Marvel legends carded collection for a couple of years is that it was my backup insurance policy, and then it just became my carded collection that I eventually sold. Yeah, insurance policy toys. That would be. I'm, I'm writing that term down. I'm gonna do a video on that. <laughs> hey, that's the whole point of us buying two. You know, you yep. buy one to keep in the box, and you buy one to open up and play with. For me, it was always an insecurity thing. It wasn't about the visual. It was just I break stuff. I'm clumsy. It happens. And I think I was more, I don't want to disturb, but my goal one day is to have a big enough office to to have all my stuff on display, my DC, my Motu Classics. So the idea was that I'd be able to have 
all of those toy lines, the entire line, including my Star Wars 3 and 3 4, which is probably like 4,000 figures. So we're talking a lot of wow. So that's always been my end goal. But as part of that, I wanted to never have to touch those. So if I wanted a figure to play with or touch or display or stick in my pocket or whatever, that would be a character I would put in that, you know, that that insurance policy pile and buy a duplicate, which is loose in this bin in my office. Right. So I'm glad way. there's somebody else out there like me. <laughs> Not too many people understand that. Are you a Funko fan? I have about six pops in total, you know, and mostly the ones that don't read as pops, I guess, in a way, like Audrey 2, because it's the only way to get an Audrey 2 anything. That's Um, my point. Okay, so I, so brief, everyone that's listening to the sound of my voice right now has heard this a million times since we started this podcast way back in 2009. From the time I was a kid up until whenever I had toys and then I didn't have toys or whatever. So in 2005, 2006, I'm like, Ooh, I, I was, you know, 25, whatever, 25, 26. I'm like, Ooh, I want my childhood back. And I would go on eBay and whatever, you know, at the time I had a job where I had excess money. Sadly, that's not the case anymore. But anyway, so I got Motu Classics, I got Transformers stuff, I got this, I got that, and whatever else, and I enjoyed it, and life happened, and in 2011 I had to sell it all, at least the stuff that I could sell, and then the rest of it just kind of went away. And from 2011 up until Josh kind of had the idea to bring Toycast back, and until I found Funko, I was not... From 2011 to 2018, 19, not really into – I still love toys. I still love seeing toys. I love seeing the reveals. I love watching all the videos, whatever else. But I had no compunction in collecting toys anymore. At the time, back in 2010, I was like, ooh, Mighty Mugs. I like those. Those are cool. Those are easy. Those you either just keep in the box or you can open them up out of the box. Same thing with Funko. But my thing with Funko is – they are the company that is in everything, like a McDonald's Grimace. Where are you ever going to get a Grimace figure, an action figure, anywhere that is really, you know, to the character? So that's always been my point with Funko is oh, they do make yeah. stuff that no one else will ever do. Let, let me just interrupt you for two seconds. Remember how I said I have like maybe six, seven Funkos mm-hmm. in total? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one of them is the Grimace. <laughs> And that's Love exactly that what, you, what you just said. I mean, mm-hmm. yep, that's why I have the Grimace Funko, and he's actually on my top shelf. <laughs> what is the most money you spent on a toy? Ooh, hmm, probably the Marvel Legends Sentinel. I'm looking around my office because obviously I've been very blessed with an amazing, very lucky, blessed career, and all of the toys I've you know worked on at Mattel. Mm-hmm. I got for free, you know, my mm-hmm. Castle Grayskull, my Voltron, my entire Motu Classics collection. Yeah, probably that I spent more money than that. That's probably it. Probably the Sentinel is probably the most. Mm. What was Side the best? Fact, ooh, I'm just going to jump in real quick. I will say, coincidentally, the most expensive toy I've ever purchased and still have it is Castle Grayskull from Classics. <laughs> oh, well, well done purchase. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I treated it like the best personal investment and my cats actually enjoy coming out of the, the mouth every so often so oh, yeah awesome <laughs> i can't believe how much it's increased in value too 
Oh, I don't even want to look because I'm I'm never going to sell it. Oh, no, yeah, no, neither would I. Professional curiosity. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to take a peek. I what have was two, actually one on display, and then I have my playing one. <laughs> what was the best deal you ever got for a figure that may have been worth quite a bit more than you paid for it? Hmm. Hmm. Interest. Wow. I. I know I've had those experience. Oh, I, um, so I recently, all right, I had to, during the move, I should make a video about how horrible this was. I, it it was a problem with my, my Star Wars figures and they got, uh, packaged not the way I wanted them to be. And as a result, quite a few accessories were lost. I mean, we're talking like, you know, 25 years of, of making sure I have every freaking gun. Um, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And one of them that was really upsetting was there was a Kmart two pack for Star Wars three and three fourth that had a stormtrooper and a scanning crew member, and the stormtrooper it was the it was actually called on package TK four two one the one that's named on screen, and it came with literally the smallest Star Wars accessory ever, which was the comlink that Luke talks through. And I remember when that figure came out, reviews of it were like, a, and in an accessory that's destined to get lost, and lo and behold, the comlink was one of the ones that got lost because it was so mm-hmm. small. And I was just crushed because I was like, like I, it was not the way that I wanted them to travel, but that doesn't matter. I found one for 30 bucks, and... It looks like they're going for much closer to like 100, 150. So that I was pretty excited. I wasn't expecting to uh, replace that figure so easily or so inexpensively. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Depressing fact, I had that two-pack, and I'm this years old finding out that that came with it and i don't remember that i think i lost it as soon as i opened the package it breaks the heart like if you didn't if you didn't like know you know if you weren't ready for it if you yep. will but although go check it might be in the guy's belt i sold most of my three and three oh. quarter star wars a couple of years ago and i guarantee that that was if it wasn't batted by my cat it disappeared into time 
Fair enough. Yeah, that I mean that accessory was ungodly small. Well, it was there was a GI Joe figure. I want to say low light in the Pursuit of Cobra line, maybe that came with a loose bullet because he was the sniper. And wow. it was a lo- loose bullet from a case of bullets. And most people said that went flying the moment you open up the the packaging. So that that is a box I have not opened yet. That has just stayed in there. What character? What was that toy? Low light, I think from it might be Pursuit of Cobra. I don't think. It, uh, yes, Pursuit of Cobra, City Strike, Low Light. Fantastic figure. I remember one of the um, Lord of the Rings, the Sauron figure, like the six inch, came with three one rings, anticipating you were going to lose two. Oh. <laughs> like the ring was removable from his hand, from his finger, so yeah. that you could, you know, wow. create. I got, that. I got mine loose. I didn't know that was a possible. Well, I don't have the electronics on. I have the the second release that was not electronic, but he does have a ring on, so that's good to know. Yeah, like I when I saw that in package, I was like, that is unbelievable. They they thought ahead and <laughs> gave you extra rings because they know you're going to lose one and. The figure's only cool if he has his ring. That's right. Before we continue on with Josh's next set of questions, just because your professional curiosity might be killing you, what I see here on eBay searching Masters of the Universe Classics Castle Grayskull, $9,999, like 1000 bucks, 1500 $1,600, $1,800, $1,995. Like, it, it, it's... That castle is expensive as all hell, folks. Now, oh my God, somebody is trying to twenty-three. Wow, somebody's trying to sell it for three thousand dollars. That's crazy. And That's just crazy. Still not enough for me to sell it. <laughs> no, I, to um, me. It, oh, thank you for the uh, image. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, and and still not enough for. Uh, me to even think about getting rid of it's the, not the one that I, I literally when kids come over bring out and let them play with well, <laughs> this take this as a compliment but to me it's one of the most perfect play sets because I it fits so many different scales I think even G.I. Joe fits in it if, as long as you don't put them in the throne but it fits so many scales it, it, it can go with just about anything I have in my collection so I, I don't have a reason to get rid of it the one I have on display in my office is literally just covered in other toys. You know, like I like I have a mini mate Spider Man and his amazing friends coming out of his eyes. Yeah. I have um, Rick Sanchez holding up his portal gun on the jaw on the jaw bridge. I have a Gloob Micro Machine Millennium Falcon like sticky to the wall, like the way it's stuck to the Star Destroyer. So, well. Similarly, uh, I moved Pee Wee Herman and his entire cast from the old toy line into Castle Grayskull. That because, is fantastic. Like he was because playing. in my yeah, because in my toy universe, his house burnt down, went away. I didn't have the playset at that point, so they all moved into Castle Grayskull, and so you had Jombie and you had uh, Conky. You had all of those different characters all living inside Castle Grayskull with a very very stressed out. Skeletor. Don't touch! Nice. Such courage! I believe I'm going to gag. It's what makes toys so great. The fact that you know, you can you can anything can cross over with anything. You you know it's it, it, I think of toys as a medium that you can tell stories with, and whether yeah. that's 
stories that are on our shelf and are funny or, you know, you're making images and sharing them online. Like, yeah, toys are a meet and you could have, you know, any character meet any character and you have total control of that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I could probably talk to you for hours about this kind of stuff, because the the level of psychology and uh, developmental psychology that you pull into toy design is is so fascinating for me, especially as, as a teacher. And I've taught the um, child development before. So there's so much that I, I still want to know. So the next question, and I, I think you're a really good person to talk to about this because it's something that we ask everybody and it's something that I take into consideration. What do you think it is about our generation of collectors? So you said you're 44, correct? Uh, three. 43, excuse me. Uh, so 43, I'm 38. There's this kind of sweet spot of people in their late 30s, early 40s right now. What causes that generation for, uh, excuse me, what causes our childhood toys to mean so much more to us than our parents' generation, for instance? You Again, you guys just have really great questions. Well, there's a there, there's there's not a simple way of answering that, but I'll maybe try to just give some large strokes. One, the toys we grew up with were more connected to content than they were our parents' generation. Sure, you had your Howdy Duties and your Davy Crockett hats, but in the 1981, Ronald Reagan worked to deregulate the FCC, which is what allowed cartoons like My Little Pony and Masters of the Universe, et cetera, et cetera, to happen. Because previously you couldn't do a cartoon that could be viewed as a TV commercial for a toy. That changed in 81 with the Reagan administration. And it's why we had such an onslaught of toy-to-content merchandise in the 80s and 90s. Um, And that didn't exist in our parents' generation. So that's meta answer one. And again, we we could spend two hours just discussing this. Yeah. The, uh, The other one I would say would be the emergence in the 80s of the need for a two-parent income, the pressure to buy more things and for women to move into the uh, workforce, both as you know, social commentary and economic necessity, pushed one parent out of the household, which hadn't really happened before in human history. There was always one parent at home to take care of the children. So without that, toys became more of an emotional crutch for us, our generation, um, you know, resulting in the current helicopter, those the helicopter parents all the way through, you know, the trigger alert college kids of today. It, it all stems from the lack of two, of one parent being home, whether that was mom, dad, whatever. Not having that has absolutely changed the emotional makeup of a generation. Yes, it is a very deep question, that is to be sure. So I want to delve more into that, but I'm going to shift channels really quick to a different type of question. I think we can come back to that in some later questions. The next question is, being a brand manager, somebody who's worked in the toy industry, how has that impacted perhaps how you experience toy shows or conventions? Do you look at them a little bit differently? Do you have different experiences with them than you probably would if you never had that job? Oh, I mean, definitely. That first time that I attended Comic Con as a vendor, you know, or you know, or you know, was definitely, you know, had a coolness factor. But then, it, you know, it loses its magic basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you realize, and it just becomes like a lot of work instead of something you enjoy going to. I mean, not a lot. Of, I mean, I still enjoy it, but it's like you're on your feet. Like you don't have it. You don't have any control of your schedule when you're, mm-hmm. you're working the show. You're on your feet the whole time. 
um, you know, versus like being like, hey, let's go back to the hotel. Oh, let's go out for pizza. Let's, you know, whatever. But I, I, I think I appreciate them more. I miss getting to you know, like before I worked for Mattel and went professional, you know, I used to cosplay to all these shows and, you know, I, like I was in line to buy Keldor and She-Ra in the 2000X line and didn't get Keldor, didn't get She-Ra, one of them, one of them I couldn't get because of the weird ticketing system they were doing. So it's been more just an eye opening sort of, you know, seeing how it works behind the scenes and also realizing how the expectations I think we all bring to these shows. A lot of times the companies they're not exactly as passionate about the stuff as we are. So that's kind of very eye-opening. Very cool. Very cool. What do we have here? It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. That's so fast, Beastman. He-Man. You can pit He-Man against Beastman playing for the power of Castle Grayskull. You have to put the castle together. Beastman's escaping. The throne, Dad. Castle Grayskull from the Masters of the Universe collection. He-Man and Beast-Man each sold separately from Mattel. Scott, on a recent episode of your YouTube channel, recent video, excuse me, recent video you had discussed action features. Now, as a child, for me, there was a lot of times I would not buy toys that had action features that were, I guess the word would be an encumbrance for the overall toy. Are there action features that you actually felt worked well that enhanced the toy? Are there action features on toys that you felt really worked against them? Ooh, great question. I think that personally, any figure where a mechanism has to stick out of the figure, 2000X Beastman is a perfect example. There's a giant peg sticking out of his back in yeah. order for him to do his whipping, uh, his ant heart, his arms, his arms up and down. So that, and there were like, so there were some Star Wars figures released like around the time of Attack of the Clones that did stuff like that too. I, lo- I don't like when, when the, anytime there's a button or a trigger that breaks the skull. Sometimes it's the only, the, the rare exception might be something like Cyclone in the vintage or the original He-Man line in the eighties, how it was a dial on the belt. And although it like totally destroyed your thumb from spinning oh, it, yes. yeah. um, which was like worse than Nintendo fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still sort of like it fit into the sculpt a little bit more than a giant trigger sticking out the back. Yeah. And I mean, that's just a personal opinion. I mean, kids may not care, but I remember even as a kid thinking that like, you know, yeah, if the trigger, like, I like superpowers was cool because, you know, you just squeeze the, the legs together. Uh, like, like the, the, the mechanism was built into the figure. So that's when I can be more forgiving. And kids do love action features. They wouldn't do them mm-hmm. if they didn't sell. As far as one that is just, like, amazing, the Toy Biz Lord of the Rings, uh, I think we talked about the, 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 the line um, earlier in the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember two minutes ago, so don't worry about my brain. Uh <laughs> The very first wave of figures uh, were heavy with action features, and they disappeared as the line went on because it was more collector-focused and less kid. But that first initial wave of Fellowship figures had mechanisms, and while the triggers sometimes did poke out of their back, what the mechanisms allowed the figures to do were pretty darn amazing. Like, for example, Legolas and one of the Urukai and Aragon figures could pull back on a bowstring and release an arrow. And that was yeah. freaking amazing. Um, so, yeah, you know, it can happen. Cool ones can happen. And you mentioned you were a fan of the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves line, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But 
I was a huge fan of the Prince Thieves line because that was one of the only toy lines I had where you had a bowstring that you could pull back to launch an arrow. So to have a figure that could do that automatically had to be pretty cool. Especially considering that a lot of toy companies, and that includes uh, Mattel when I worked there working on things like a Green Arrow figure or bow from from the Princess of Power line. And yeah, like you, you had to do figures with arrows sculpted into the the bow and arrow, or, you know, the bow and the, and the string. So that it otherwise it could be legally considered a slingshot and like has to have yep. all this safety. It's it's crazy. There's a whole that's a whole thing. I'm gonna write that's actually a video topic. I'm gonna write that down. Actually, a funny thing about the Toy Biz Lord of the Rings line, all those triggers. I took a wire cutter and cut the triggers off of all of them. So I have a a ton of Lord of the Rings figures that would be considered non mint anymore. And those things shoot across the room when you clip them off. By the way, in case anybody is wondering. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I actually hit my roommate in the head. And that is why, <laughs> exactly why Mattel makes the designers sculpt an arrow lodged into the bow. Yeah. Right? There you go. Bingo. So I, I want to, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Uh, I wanted to jump into the scaling of Masters of the Universe. We're going to go from action features to scaling. So Mat- Masters of the Universe classics, they were larger figures for the time. There was a lot of six-inch figures on the market at the time, especially geared towards collectors. And I believe in one of your videos, and if it is in one of your videos, feel free to, to throw it out there. But it was it was unique to try to set it aside from other toy lines at the time. It was a bit bigger, a bit huskier. And I thought I remember somebody saying that it was to make adult collectors feel like a kid again holding a toy scale-wise. So if you're a three-foot kid holding a master's figure, it it is a certain ratio of scale. When you're an adult, obviously holding a master's figure is going to feel a lot smaller, but a classics figure might make you feel like a kid again because it's larger. Is there any truth to that? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's – and um, I don't know if that was done deliberately um to create that psychological connection but it absolutely exists but i will tell you part of the scaling issue for motu and the reason that they're about six and a half inches versus six uh i mean the 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 scale was determined just to make a a figure that was you know could live in you know marvel legends black series like that world you know that we all collect the reason that they are larger though is is because in the in the original line, the fact that they were five inch figures and most of the product at market was three and three quarter, especially mm-hmm. their competitor Star Wars, and to an extent GI Joe, so they were made bigger specifically to be bigger than all the other toys you as a child owned. So much the same way, Masters of the Classics being six and a half inches versus a proper six makes them just a little bit bigger than every other six inch figure you own in your adult collection. So it was meant to trigger that reaction and I, I remember the first time i i had the classics castle gray skull in front of me it's a massive toy and i did feel like a little kid again and that was uh that that was a very fun moment for me when that showed up to my doorstep like i said we're gonna be jumping around a little bit so yeah, I'm, a, I'm looking at my castle right now so yeah it's all good yeah mine actually has the more recent uh Masters. These castles don't bounce, y'all. Don't jump in the castles. <laughs> I actually have the, the Masters of the Universe mini. Um, they have the little blind box figures that came in the tiny Castle Grayskull. Yep. So oh, yeah. I have a little bit of an Inception thing going on where the tiny castle is coming out of the larger castle currently. That's fantastic. I love that. It inception. It, it, That's great. 
That's what she said. She may have. Oh. Like I said, we're going to jump around a little bit. The, the next thing is is that I'm also a big fan of some obscure, sometimes one-series toy lines from movies and TV shows. I'm well known for my uh, affinity for the Waterworld toy line and the movie. Nice. And even and even the Super Mario Brothers movie line, which I think is very underrated. And you mentioned that you also have the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves line. And in previous videos, you've discussed that toy lines are primarily in stores to advertise properties and movies. And I, I 100% agree with that. But this is certainly reduced in recent times because it's more focused on established properties than sometimes these one-off movies. So in your opinion, do you feel there's still room for even a uh, or even a demand for child-centered toy lines for more movies other than just established brands? And is there a movie in the last few years that you felt would have been a fun toy line? I mean, I thought Green Lantern would have been a fun toy line if the movie did well. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, it had like everything going for it to make it a fun toy line, you know, with a kid. Imagination-based creations, unlimited shapes that come out of, you know, your willpower. That's very kid-friendly. And it was a little Star Wars-ish, if you think about it, with a very large cast of, of characters that you could just keep going with over and over again. It is such a, like, the reason that, like, usually an untested property, like Green Lantern, will get a very limited line at retail. Like, if you look at Iron Man 1, mm -hmm. uh, you know, had a very small line compared to Iron Man 2, because no one knew the hell Iron Man was at the time. And the fact that Mattel went so all in on Green Lantern was because it checked off every box, as far as what makes a good toy line, like, every box. I mean, it was like, this is going to be just as big as Batman, potentially. And then the movie didn't work. You mean Green Lantern didn't work? Yeah, the Green Lantern movie. Yeah. So do you do you feel that there's still room for untested properties? Something like when He-Man was first introduced back in the 80s? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Especially for younger kids who, who still need play because they don't necessarily care as much about the characters. They mm. much more about the play. Which is why things like Imagine Next, you know, and uh, Lego continue to do like you know city that you know sets that skew young. So yeah, there's it just takes a company willing to try. Well, so then in the late '80s and early '90s, there were ser several toy lines that were inspired by R-rated or adult-natured properties like Terminator 2, Demolition Man, Aliens, and Aliens is a unique one because it came out years after the property it was inspired by. So. As a brand manager, or even as a parent, what's your opinion on this upon reflection of, of toys being available for these R-rated movies? And why would toy companies develop toy lines that are based on movies that may not have been accessible to kids? Very interesting question. The and I, I have I mean I've never worked on one, but I've you know I spent time thinking about this subject. It's yeah, definitely been something, you know, there's many YouTube videos on it out there, which is one of the reasons I haven't addressed it. So I'm like, yeah, it's been covered. But Basically, I think that the uh, the reason toy companies make make toys of these things is because the concept alone is toyetic. Oh yeah. So you know you've got space marines versus alien you know bug monsters. You have a police officer robot. You have what, what's it? What's another one? Demolition Man. You know you Sylvester Stallone. You know travel. You know. It's very, very toyetic concepts so of sometimes, yeah, especially the fact that Aliens came out years later proves it because it was basically like, wow, this is a concept that works for kids. The movie may be years old and inappropriate, but who cares? They'll like the concept. And I guess there's something very easy to understand between Army Men and Alien Bugs. 
put the two together, you don't even have to know the plot. You just know that they fight each other. That's exactly it. You always got to be a part of Rico's Roughnecks. Oh, and that was a toy line as well. There you go. Yeah, Starship Troopers had a big toy line, and that's incredibly inappropriate, but it's just soldiers versus bugs, and, you know, kids can get that. Now, personally, I would have loved a, a, a couple of toys that were inspired at least by the novel a little bit more than the movie, but... Oh, Starship Troopers? Yeah. God, that would be incredible with the, the, the with this with the body suits and the jumping. I mean, yeah, but that's well, they tried that with GI Joe. They basically that was GI Joe. That's true. That's true. GI Joe was just Starship Troopers without the name. I mean, the, the book. Well, so as a, as a parent, and, and I, I know times are a little bit different though. I I know that when I was a kid, I got the Terminator two toys. So my parents seeing that. Oh, let's go see the movie. And we see the movie, and we love the movie. We, I, I was exposed to some uh, more adult-natured movies as a kid a little bit earlier than you might see now. But is that – I'm trying to find the best way to – That's because the it, 40 years ago, things were wholly different than they are now. That's true. Like I said earlier in this episode – my mom let me watch almost anything because she knew I knew the difference between the fictitious make-believe that was on the boob tube versus going out and actually doing something. Going back to, was it Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises, the theater, sh- it's horrible, the theater shooting because somebody saw somebody doing something in a Batman movie or whatever it was. I believe it was in, I believe it was in Colorado, actually. The Yeah. Uh, you know, 40 years ago, it was wholly different because 40 years ago, we didn't have the internet. 40 years ago, we could only talk on the telephone to our friends or, you know, have our friends come over to our, you know, homes and play with our, to- like, it was a lot, I don't want to say safer, but a lot more, disconnected versus now where if some parent out there was like my mom was and let me watch anything and didn't explain to me the difference between the fic again that's why we had mr rogers and we had you know the land of make-believe and he explained to us as kids in the 80s and you know late 70s early 80s how make-believe is not real it's well, and also cur- it's to it, do the go ahead it's uh, i was just gonna uh, say well, i'm also, on a soapbox i need to stop <laughs> uh i was also gonna say that we got a lot of our news more from the lunchroom table and in homeroom class where i remember somebody had convinced me that there were three more gremlins movies beyond gremlins 2 <laughs> and i had no way to confirm that why didn't you go to Snopes.com? I, I unfortunately for me, when I was in like fourth grade, the Snopes.com was more of the "I'm going to go tell my mom" kind of thing than anything else. Hey, hey, you're talking to a guy who in fourth grade got in trouble for talking about listening to hard rock and liking a girl. So, you know, I got in yeah, trouble for I'm, pretending to be a Power Ranger. So I'm going to stick with the thing of 40 years ago was a completely different time versus what is going on nowadays in the 21st century. So, so Scott, when it comes to these R-rated adult-oriented properties, 
Were there any in particular that sort of jumped out at you? Anything that you really enjoyed, or is there anything that said, that you felt and you kind of talk, touched on it a second ago that particularly worked about them really, really well? Well, you know, just the very fact that they existed is because, like, a, you know, I think it just goes back to the point that the concept was just so, like, high toy, if you will. Um, mm. You know, robot cop, you know, space soldiers versus bugs that, you know, it doesn't need the content. It's a good enough concept on its own or it wouldn't exist. It wouldn't have worked. Are there any other classic 80s or 90s movies? Again, I'm an 80s and 90s kid. That's where a lot of this is coming from. Are there any that did not have toy lines that you would have actually liked to have seen? Blade Runner is on, on my list. Back to the Future? Oh, yeah. That, like, I always wondered why that didn't get a toy line. Well, it wouldn't that, that is a good question, why it didn't get even just a basic toy line. I, I wonder if it was a likeness thing or something. Uh, so everyone thought it was going to bomb. Nobody thought it was going to be. I mean, come on. It's, I mean, even have you ever have you, have you ever watched the the, the um, well, uh, pitch meeting, the, the YouTube channel? Oh, um, where it's the guy who kind of talks back and forth between himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, go watch the one on Back to the Future, and it actually references the original comedian that did this bit, which actually inspired his channel, because it was a whole bit. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the comedian's name, but it's uh, it's, it's it, when he does the Back to the Future episode, he, he talks about it uh, because it influenced his whole channel. And it's just about how how in the world do you pitch Back to the Future to a studio? Okay, so this kid goes back in time, and his mom falls in love with him, and they start making out in their car, and then uh, there's uh, I mean, it's like what? <laughs> like this movie is when, who in the world would ever green light this thing uh, I, once they tied in the DeLorean I, I I think that's where it came from just just easy product placement yeah you put a car that can time travel or you put a car that can talk and turbo boost there's going to be toy lines from was it, it and while, was it though initially a refrigerator wasn't it supposed to be a refrigerator at first it was yeah it was supposed to be this giant it was I a time traveling refrigerator i think yeah i i don't want to say I, I heaven no, forbid you're right. that's what the bad the indiana jones yeah designed to be a reference to that yeah i, I was gonna <laughs> say i, I don't want to necessarily come down on all of the Whovians that may be listening to this, but basically Doc Brown was a Doctor Who fan because he wanted to have a TARDIS. Uh, we just don't want those kids going into refrigerators, though. So, last question on this topic. So, of all those lines, let's say you are put as the brand manager on any of them, one that stuck out to you the most. Is there anything of the one that you would pick, something that you would change, something you would improve? Is there anything that you would continue to do because it worked really well? If, if you could have your dream 80s and 90s toy property to pick from, what would it be? I mean, are you talking about the specifically the, the R-rated ones or just any? Yeah. yeah. Yes. yes. R-rated or more adult natured properties. Uh, I mean, I think I think you could can Starship Troopers. Well, I mean, Aliens is basically the same thing. I mean, it's like why Walmart has a great little kid aliens line right now. I mean, with, you know, Space Marines. It's like that line absolutely, I get I get why it's evergreen. I mean, I would have loved to do more Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I mean, it only had one wave, but it's because only one wave sold. You needed more role play, I think, to sell better. I don't, that, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there's to, it's, it's much more like there's there's lines like, you know, Back to the Future or Goonies, and I'm like, why wasn't there a toy line? But yeah, no, I can't say that's really something that I've, I've uh, pondered too much. So, 
I know that Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves actually had a second series planned, and there's a lot of movie lines that have a second series planned, but it never hits. At what point in production is it usually decided that, hey, we're not going to move forward on this second series? Is it when the movie starts to fail, or is it in the ordering process? Do you do you have any insight on that? Yeah, it's basically the moment. It's the opening night of the movie. Wow. So yeah. just how it produces that first night is going to determine if there are more toys put out. But because the toy making cycle is almost three years, you have to yeah. have the next waves ready to go. Assuming, you know, you're basically betting on the movie being a hit. Are there ever situations where the line is already in production, but a movie fails and then you just have all these toys sitting around that they're not, nobody's going to buy? Well, usually you're I mean, that's what. Yeah. I mean, all the time, essentially. I mean, that happened a ton with with. The, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, and, and you know, you saw, you know, how much that product was going to Ollie's and and Big Lots and Pick Five. I mean, every time you see product at Pick Five, that's because it's product that was manufactured based on a bet that a movie was going to do well and didn't, and now there's too much product. It happens all the time. Every time you see a product at Discount Channel, that's it. And I, I've heard stories, and I'm I'm adding extra questions to my line of questioning here, but I, I've I've heard stories of product from different lines never being sold in the states being sent to south america being sent to europe to sort of dump off some of that extra product do you have any knowledge of that ever happening oh i mean yeah it it, it happened most more so happened back in the 80s and 90s and you know there's great examples like the the giants from the masters of the universe line or yak face from power of the force one and it's basically because other most other markets are a year to two years behind the u.s so a line that's done in the United States still has viability outside of the U.S. because they, maybe the entertainment hasn't gotten there yet. Um, there's many, many reasons why territories outside the U.S. get product and entertainment later, especially back in the 80s. So, yeah, that's that happens all the time. Speaking of which, did you hear about the massive amount of mask, counter mask toys that were found in some South American country that people were, were trying to get shipped back to the States to sell. Oh no, that's cool. Like that happened recently. Yeah. Uh, if I can get, uh, I'll, I'll try to track down the information for you and send it to you. But yeah, several, I don't know what series, but pristine case, fresh mask toys, just tons of them were found in a warehouse. And I know that uh, justice Curry, who's a, known seller and YouTuber, there goes my alarm, uh, YouTuber uh, out here in the Midwest, he was trying to get in on that and just really a treasure trove of a time capsule of toys that were found. That doesn't shock me at all that that happens. That's really cool. That's like awesome. That happened with uh, the, that salacious crumb too a couple of years ago. And that's why why there were so many of those loose vintage salacious crumbs floating around. That's that explains why I saw a bin of those at a toy show in the last couple of years. Yeah, they they found. I actually know it because I mean I spoke to the person who was dealing with it. Yeah, they found in a warehouse like you know fifty thousand units of just loose salacious crumb and Jabba's like smoking bowl or whatever it's called this hookah. <laughs> and so like his, they, his frog hookah. Yeah, that's like so they, that's why all those companies are just because like they basically sold it for pennies on the dollar just to clear out this where old warehouse. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's why. And companies didn't have access at like the branding material or even like the name stars. That's like so weird. So you see people like selling salacious crumb, but and like creating their own packaging for it and stuff. 
Oh, that's great. So I'm going to hand it off to Mike. I, I've added a couple extra questions to our, our 42, but Mike, go ahead. All right. How would you describe your collecting style before and after working for various toy companies? Did anything change? Hmm. Probably less of an impulse to buy something that I thought was super rare. You know, it's like when you see prototypes and one-off shots, like, you know, just literally thrown out every day, you don't get as excited, like, seeing those at shows. Right. Um, but other than that, I've really, the rules that I've always established for my collection, since I was, you know, 13, 12, whatever, have kind of mm-hmm. remained pretty steadfast. I collect the six-inch I want to, not every six-inch, like Marvel Legends, you know, but I do collect every three and three-fourth Star Wars. So those rules that I set up at 13 still apply today. <laughs> yeah, that's like as I've said, I believe in this in this in this episode. I collect Funko, but I only collect the characters that absolutely mean something. Like I'm not gonna go, you know, after Game of Thrones Funko Pops or anything like that. Do you have a my parents got rid of my toys story? Much more. My parents made me take all my toys out of their house, like every single one. I wasn't to leave a thing. Um which was great because I was able to rescue a lot of stuff. You know, like I have my original Millennium Falcon and Adat and Dagobah playset and, you know, most of my Star Wars toys from as a kid. The stuff that I don't have anymore, I have to just assume got tossed or, like, destroyed. Like, I don't have mm-hmm. memories. Like, I mean, I had more, like I had an X-Wing, and the X-Wing wasn't in my parents' um, attic. But I probably, I, I do remember breaking it, and it probably just got tossed at some point. So, my father had his mother throw out all of his baseball cards, so I know what you're talking about. Like, we're talking Mickey Mantle rookie stuff. Um, but no, luckily, I was able to get all my stuff. So. so, similar story to baseball stuff getting thrown out. My dad was the bat boy for the Cubs in 1968 and 1969 when Randy Hunley, Ernie Banks, Ron Santos, some really well-known uh, Chicago Cubs players around there. And he had gone off to, I believe, boot camp uh, for the Navy. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But my grandmother took all of the equipment that he had either signed or just left over actual used equipment from these athletes and just gave it out to the neighborhood kids or threw it out. And he found out when he got back. So he he lost all of this stuff that would be one-of-a-kind collectibles right now. He still has, I think, two or three bats, but that's about it. Wow. What is – okay, so this question – basically means there it does not exist there are no plans there were there, there's no secret stock there's no warehouse in india that might have this what is something that does not have a toy of it you'd love to have in toy form hmm, let's see i almost gotta like look at my I keep <laughs> let's see it's, it's funny, most of this stuff gets scratched off as years go by Right, right. Um, like I had Firefly on the list for the longest time, and then Funko <laughs> made Firefly toys. Yep. I'm like actually trying to find the list, but it's going to be more difficult. Oh wait, I, I love the movie Hudson Hawk. It's a terrible '80s movie, but it's awesome. I would love toys from that. We just got Princess Bride toys from McFarlane. I never thought that was going to happen, so I'm excited those are coming. That, I mean, it's fun because like so many of them, like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, all these things that were on my list have basically gotten made. Yeah. Um, in the last few years, really, I think one of the odder ones that's almost obvious is I would love Marvel Legends esque, like you know, six inch super articulated figures of literary heroes, like the Count of Monte Cristo and Robin Hood and uh, Three Musketeers and Captain Ahab, and I think that that would be really cool. 
And that doesn't cost anything. Some yeah, because they're all public domain. I mean, unless Captain Ahab is going to come sue you, I think you're pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that and you say Three Musketeers, because all I can think of is... <laughs> 1993, almost 30 years ago, Tim Curry is Cardinal Richelieu in the Disney movie. I could just see a toy of that right now. Oh, Lord. Was there ever a moment where you were done with toys? Have you ever considered stopping being a collector or even selling your whole collection? Um, I didn't get to the point of selling my collection, but yes, there was a very specific moment. I know exactly what it is. It was right before episode one came out. And uh, Power of the Force 2, which was kind of ending, uh, they, and they had uh, the, the, the flashback photo and then Comtac figures that were like a preview of what we were going to get with Episode 1. And there was a C-3PO figure that came out with Aunt Beru, and it was like desert-worn or shop-worn C-3PO where he had a chunk of um, sand like on his shoulder, and he looked like you know he'd been walking around Tatooine or the Dune planet or something. Mm-hmm. And... I felt like that figure was so close to C-3PO's we already had that I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm done. I can't, like, we're not getting anything original. They've done everything. They even did Aunt Beru. Now we're just getting repeats. Obviously, years later, like, repeats are accepted as a normal part of collecting Star Wars. But I remember that figure made me go, nope, I'm done. They're just totally gouging me at this point. Screw this. And then a few weeks went by and I bought it. That's like, again, you know, you you look at something like Star Wars and you have, I'm going to say, the three main characters in Luke, Han, and Leia of Luke has the Bespin outfit, Luke has the Hoth outfit, Luke has the Jedi outfit, Luke now has the Mandalorian glow-in-the-dark outfit, kind of like there's an outfit for almost, like, so again, repaints and redos and whatever, that, that's a whole big business. And especially um, with a new hat. Yeah. With the Simpsons joke. Oh. Sorry, I'll go back in the corner. You're up, Josh. 37 in a row. Alrighty. So, Scott, you are... 37? Yes, you are 37. So, Scott, you are very fortunate to be working with your wife as part of Spectre Creative. So, that's sort of the business side of things, but how does your, your wife deal with or how has she dealt with your overall physical collection (laughs) um by not letting me make clerks references um essentially (laughs) she's been awesome she basically we're blessed enough that we have a uh you know a a multi-bedroom house in north carolina (laughs) which is in california we have like nothing that's why we moved because the quality of life what you get for your money and one of the wonderful things about that was i have a we had a the extra bedroom and I got to turn that into my office slash toy room. So basically she's like, I love it. It's what makes you happy. I will never go in there, but knock yourself out. Um, but she doesn't like clutter. She hates clutter. She does put up with a few other things because I've got a few figures scattered around the house. I have a Swedish chef in the spice cabinet and my <laughs> uh, clear spirit of King Grey skull in her China cabinet. But uh her brothers were both comic nerds growing up, like made her like every time they would pass. a, She was the young. She was a little sister to two older brothers and they were both comic book nerds. So 
that's what she like like she's used to that if you you know they made her go to you know if they were driving and they'd pass a comic book store you had to stop so she, and also because I, I think a big thing was the fact that i was doing this professionally uh when when she the first time she came to my apartment when we were dating and i had put a lot of stuff away but there were some toys out and i had a lord of the rings narsal prop replica mounted to my wall which i now have in my office i'm looking at it but it was in my living room at the time because I was a bachelor. Like, she took a look at that and was like, oh my god, he's got a giant broadsword. But I explained what it was, and then she's like, got it. So, life moved on. My wife felt the same. I, I also had Narsil, and uh, it took a little while. I, I finally sold it, but yeah, she felt the same way. Like, why does he have this giant weapon hanging from his wall? I do miss it, but I actually ended up hitting myself in the chin with the point of it at one point. Oh. And uh, so... That that was motivation to sell it. So the next question, what part of the collecting hobby, and you can either focus on the searching out toys, the physical buying, the storage, whatever you want to, whatever you want to go to. What part of the collecting hobby do you struggle with the most now? Honestly, I think it's waiting to complete teams, like the frustration of the you know still waiting for that Slimalu Star Wars figure to complete the original carded Kenner collection, you know, Feral and Wolfsbane from some X-Men teams from the 90s, and the fact that, you know, prices are really going up. Nothing to do with the toy industry and everything to do with labor and material costs. And it has nothing to do with COVID. It has nothing to do with inflation. It has nothing to do with supply chain issues. It's 100% the labor in China. And, you know, like Marvel Legends last year went up to $22.99. They just put a wave up for pre-order that's uh, fall 2022, and it's $24.99. So, yeah, we're, you know, I'm glad I own most of the toys I want because we're about to get into do I really need this territory with spending? I, I'm right there with you. I, I think with the recent price increases and just some changes in my own life, I, I've really had to ask myself, is it worth it to have one more thing on my shelf for $25? Because, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, inflation is going to, I can't even imagine what's going to happen with that, you know, until this gets worked out. But, yeah, toy prices are really, you know, they held, I, 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 can, I know toy companies held the line for longer than they should. Uh, it's kind of what we did in Motu Classics, where we had to jump it from 20 to $25 overnight. And they, I know they wanted to go to 25 last year. Um, it was clear, like, if you looked at the X-Men movie figures that Hasbro put out, yeah. that were, they were $25 without a Build-A-Figure piece. And then right next to them was the basic figures, or your comic book based with Build-A-Figure for 20 so, and for the most part, people still bought the movie figures at twenty five. They did, they did. Except, fortunately, poor Domino didn't oh, really. Yeah, she got well. You know, uh, yeah, that's I, I could go into that, but then people are going to call me sexist and racist. And, oh, and there's a good example of an R rated movie sold in Toya. Wow, I was this years old when when I just realized that yes, that was an R rated movie in the Toya. That's a great example. So my last question in my in my list of questioning is obviously having stuff isn't. A lot of people say philosophically it's not about the stuff. It's about the experiences. It's about putting money into large, amazing experiences you can always remember. But I think as collectors, we often have good experiences with buying the toys we collect. Do you have one positive and one negative memory that happens to stick out or one positive or one negative memory that sticks out as as a collector buying toys? I, you know, I think, I mean, my positive stories are usually around finding things that, especially ones that I wasn't expecting to find, you know, and that, that's the wonderful thing is that still happens. I mean, that happened to me a few weeks ago when I found the Bib Fortuna 
three and three fourth wave of vintage figures on shelf, like before Christmas or maybe right after it, whatever it was, like they weren't supposed to ship from Amazon until like April or May. So getting, and I, I remember finding an Ewok pack at Toys R Us, the multi-packs they did for Star Wars three and three fourth, probably 10 years ago now. And I found them almost what I want to say first in the country. Like I, nobody online was talking about finding these and I found them. I was like, Oh my God, like am I literally like, like are these just hitting California because we usually get them. California got things first. And if I found the first one and will I be the very first person in the world to post this? So usually it's, yeah, that kind of surprise and delight of finding stuff. The agony is losing stuff. The move was not pretty. I lost more things than I wanted to. And then I, I mean, I did such a good job packing stuff, but not all my directions were followed. And, that's always that's the frustrating is losing things you have and having to rebuy them or the regret of passing on something and then having to pay a high price for it later because you didn't pick it up. And that's always yeah, that that right there is always a hard thing, especially when you're trying to be more budget conscious or a little bit more savvy in buying things, because we know as collectors, if you see it there and you know it's a hot item, that might be the one and only time you ever see it. And it's astonishing because that's really limited to this this hobby like that doesn't happen with a lot of hobbies i had to explain it to my brother once when i was trying to tell him about why uh, toy reselling is a thing and why i can possibly find a toy on the rack at walmart put it on ebay and make a profit off of it he didn't understand that because he said well can i just go buy a shirt off the rack at walmart and and put it on ebay and make a profit and i said well no no it's the, it's very very different so trying to explain that to people who aren't 100 percent informed is always an experience so uh, mike you have the last three questions yes yes i do now as we all know since you know we now live in an age or we have been living in an age of the internet and everyone that works at companies is out there however if childhood scott so basically go back to your childhood your life trajectory did not take you into being a Mattel brand manager. So imagine what your life is currently, except for that one piece of it is not there. What would childhood Scott want to create? If he could create any toy or toy line, the company, whichever, whatever company it is, basically gives you the keys to the kingdom. You can do whatever you want. What would you do? And how would that compare to what you have actually created in the current timeline that you were the brand manager at Mattel. I mean, it, it would be a, 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 you know, if I'm yeah talking to six-year-old Scott, it would be a flip between working on Star Wars three and three fourth toys and working on He-Man. Those were like the two lines I loved the most, and that I had the most ideas of how I would bring to market. So yeah, like I've said, getting to work on classics literally was a dream job. I mean, this wasn't just like, oh, it's really cool. I get to work on He-Man. Like, no, this is something I would think about as a kid, what it would be like to work on He-Man toys. So I feel very grateful, so grateful for the experiences I've had. Awesome. What is one piece of advice you would give the toy collecting fandom in general? You talking about the adult collectors? Yes. Uh, remember how small we are as a population and that the internet has a way of making it making us sound larger or you know bigger than we are numerous you know mm -hmm. um the, the 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 statistical way i have it is that when i was working at mattel and we were trying to figure out how many people were posting on a very specific he-man message board that had thousands and thousands of posts per month and i had mattel analytics review a month's worth of posts and found that it was only like 29 individual posters 
posting thousands of posts. And the internet creates this reverse mirror that makes us think that we're, there's more of us, that we're more powerful than we are. Not that we aren't, we shouldn't be appreciated as consumers. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to, re- like, we, we think that there's a lot more of us than there are, basically. Yeah. On the flip side of that, what is advice you would give to kids who enjoy toys? Get off screens, play with toys, play with toys you enjoy. Tell your parents what you like. I mean, kids don't, I mean, it's funny because you don't have these kind of conversations with them, but it's more with parents. But play is so important, especially outdoor play. And, you know, having action figures and dolls to play out, you know, fantasies of being a parent or being a warrior or being whatever is so, so important. And screens do not replace that. And brains need to be nourished. And play does that. So play. Go play with toys. Go play outside. Go jump, go throw a ball, get get off your screens. That's right. We're going to take a quick break, folks. You're going to hear some ads and some other stuff, and we're going to come back to talk about Spectre Creative with Scott and then close it out after this. One of the primary themes of ToyCast is that we focus on times past. We are who we are today because of the nostalgic memories and experiences from our childhood. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it weren't for the toys that make us so addicted to nostalgia. Times Past Collectibles in Chicago, Illinois is your primary go-to collectible store to reclaim the toys that drove those memories and experiences. Specializing in action figures from all of your favorite toy lines like Star Wars, G.I. Joe, He-Man, Transformers, Silverhawks, Ghostbusters, TMNT, Mask, and more, get your dose of nostalgia with a shop run by collectors for collectors. Whether you are looking for loose G.I. Joe, Ice Cream Soldier, a packaged Leonardo, recent Star Wars Black Series figures, or an AFA-graded Boba Fett, Times Past Collectibles is bringing you back to your childhood. Visit the shop at 1450 North Ashland Ave in Chicago, just two blocks south of Ashland and North Ave. Call the shop at 847-830-1031 or email timespasscollectibles1982 at gmail.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Just search Times Past Collectibles because, folks, it's past time that you get your collectibles. Discover a world of vintage and modern toys that's more than meets the eye with the Triple Takeover Toycast. Hosted by toy writers and photographers Toybox Soapbox, 6O, and TF Square One, this informal and chilled out series of discussions cover everything from vintage Transformers to Mask, Diaclone, Microman, and more, be it nostalgic or current. Whether you're a seasoned collector or a casual robot enthusiast, all are welcome. Triple Takeover Toycast. So let's say you're looking for a podcast of your favorite 80s comic books, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, He-Man, etc. Where are you going to go to find us? Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm Chuck. That's right, everybody. We're the Star Joes. We host a podcast called Star Joe's Podcast, where we talk about your favorite comic books, your favorite toys of all the 80s properties. Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, Thundercats, Voltron, you name it, we cover it. If it's in the 80s, we will we'll cover it at some point. Yeah, so what you want to do to find us, you can go to iTunes, you can go to www.starjoes.com. And remember, the Force will be with you, because knowing us is half the battle.
like science fiction? Of course you do, or you wouldn't be listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Well, the Mark Who 42 Universe podcast is an award-winning sci-fi radio show that's been around for over 10 years. We cover everything from Doctor Who to the MCU to pop culture and everything in between. A new show drops on Tuesday mornings on the GCRN website and all of the major podcast platforms. So listen to the Mark Who 42's Universe podcast from the universe and beyond. Oh, hey, I got something. Since 2009, we have been the premier cartoon podcast here at the GeekCast Radio Network. We are ToonCast. From taking you beyond the cartoons we grew up with to seasonal saucy toon talk, and now we get the origins of toonsters everywhere as we ask guests... 30 questions about their cartoon-watching experiences, plus so much more. ToonCast is back. Join me, TF2 and Mike, and the rest of the GCRN crew as we give you all the Toon talk you will ever need, only on the GCRN. And wherever you consume your podcasts, we are beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. We are all Toons all the time here on ToonCast. Yeah. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, podcast we talk movies we talk tv we talk hello julie what the heck are you doing trying to make our spot sound more exciting by adding explosions yeah i'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects not the real thing download the show on itunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com i'm sure your insurance company will cover that no they won't no they probably won't is Snape not ready to take on He-Man? Anytime! Snake Mountain Battle Armor He-Man and Skeletor are each sold separately. You put the mountain together. Batteries not included. Is your serpent ready to strike? Yes! Come, He-Man. Come to Snake Mountain. It's you, Snake Mountain with Echo Microphone. New from the Masters of the Universe collection. Action figures each sold separately from Mattel. Before we get the heck out of here, folks, it's been about uh, two, two and a half hours, something like that, depending on how I edit this. We need to talk to Mr. Scott Toy Guru Nightlick all about his company, Spectre Creative. First of all, where'd you come up with the name and tell us all about what it is that you and your lovely wife are doing with the company. Sure. So it's basically a staging ground for our invasion of Antarctica. We have most of our nukes. I mean, I'm sorry, hold on, let me go back. (laughs) Special Creative is a consulting company that I formed when I moved from California to North Carolina after I spoke to a few local companies, uh, you know, looking for marketing, you know, et cetera, networking. Once I moved, (laughs) looking for full-time work, realizing there were a lot of companies that said they – needed help developing, you know, toy product, et cetera. Um, but it wasn't a full-time thing. And I had enough of those companies that I was like, wait, I could do this, you know, full-time by having multiple clients and actually being a toy consultant because I have quite unique experience. And that's where it came from. I mean, or at least that's why I set up the firm. Um, and I've been, it's been very successful the last three years. I've, I've worked with literally large national toy companies as well as inventors and entrepreneurs that have ideas for toys or just consumer product in general. It doesn't have to be toy product. Um, I've done beauty care product. I've done, I've done, uh, not knitting. Um, I had a client who makes a hand makes quilt crocheting, I guess you could say. But yeah, I, I really, I work on the, the specialty that we, we offer clients is that we work on understanding the emotional connection between consumer and product. And my wife being a child play therapist, uh, works with me on a lot of the toy products. She also sees clients and actually teaches 
at UNCG. So we, we both do quite a lot. So that's, yeah, if you're out there and you have an idea for a toy line or any kind of product, you need help bringing it to market, branding, marketing, content creation, prototype development, all of that, as well as actually placing it at Target, Walmart, Amazon, uh, building e-commerce sites. That's what I do. Uh, so you can find me at SpectreCreative.com. And I love, love helping people kind of unlock that key emotional connection of why consumers enjoy product and using that as the springboard to get it to market and sell it. So that's what Spectra Creative does. Very cool. Very cool. Any final things you want to say, Josh, before I run through the closing? No, I, I, I'm just very appreciative of this opportunity. I, I think it's great to talk to you, uh, quote unquote, in person. And if anybody is ever looking for any great information on the toy industry, some really amazing insight into trends or happenings in the toy industry, please check out Scott's channel, uh, Spectre Creative on YouTube. It is an excellent place to just get some some great education. Absolutely. And obviously all the links will be in the show notes and the post on the website, folks. Thank you for joining us here on ToyCast. <laughs> if you'd like to get in contact with us or leave feedback for the show, there are several ways to do so. Visit the website, geekcastradio.com, where you can listen to and comment on all of our content. Send an email to feedback at geekcastradio.com. Here all the ways you can listen to us nowadays, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at geekcastradio for the network, at tftoycast is for the show. I'm at tfgu and Mike. Josh, what is your Twitter? Uh, I think I'm at still at Floodburger. No, it's Floorburger553. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. Scott, what is your Twitter if you use it? Spector Creative. Everything is Spector Creative. All right. Become a fan on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash geekcast radio network. You can also search out TF Toycast over there as well. For now, I am TF2 and Mike with... Floorburger, who's not paying attention. Floorburger's here. Hello. And me, Scott Toyguru Nightlife. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was supposed to say that. Hi, I'm here. Ladies and gentlemen, it. it is 2022, and we are all losing our minds over the increase of toys because of labor versus the actual crappy plastics Transformers is going to be using. Anyway, it is oh. what it is. Join us next time when we'll be talking more toys here on Toycast. Cast. <laughs>